welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Wilbert Roger for Call of Duty World War II. It's a live orchestral score injected with a lot of patriotism, beautifully played by the Nashville Scoring Orchestra. Call of Duty is such an interesting franchise to me. I am consistently impressed with how much effort goes into the entire game, not just the multiplayer. Of course, Call of Duty well known for having just fierce multiplayer battles, but they put so much time and thought into the story and the music and everything else as well. It's wonderful. This iteration of Call of Duty has a much more personal story mode, and it was a pleasure to talk with Will about the experience and the great score that he wrote. This is Call of Duty World War II. Um, it takes place right after D-Day. Um, it follows an American platoon, and uh, they go through France, Normandy, they liberate Paris, uh, they make their way into Germany, and then, uh, to remain spoiler-free, I'll just say, things happen. <laughs> and then it kind of kind of goes from there. What's unique about this game, though, and uh, what I honestly just love about it, is that Normally in a Call of Duty game, especially the last several uh, that we've had, um, it, you know, in, in addition to having modern warfare, futuristic warfare, and very um, technologically advanced soldiers and, and settings, uh, not only is it historical, but also it's very personal. Um, it's really the story of the brotherhood that forms when, you know, these, these um, what is it, just only five or six main characters are just forced in this horrifying situation and they have to survive, they have to depend on each other. And what's, what I think is brilliant about it is that it's not just story. It's not just, oh, in cutscenes, they're bonding or like, you know, developing or whatever. But actually, even in gameplay itself, this is represented. Like, every single person on your team is important in some way. They all have their different, um, I don't know exactly what the game calls it, but they're almost kind of like power-ups where once you earn enough kills, then uh, one of your teammates will be ready with whatever power-up. So maybe they'll give you a health pack, maybe they'll refill your ammo, maybe they'll spot out enemies for you. But everyone has their unique thing that they bring to the table. And hmm. this is, I, I, I thought this was kind of the best new kind of innovation for this game because it really reinforces the story. It, it mm -hmm. sort of gives more gameplay context. It, it, it gets rid of a lot of that, I know the, the fancy term people throw around these days is ludonarrative dissonance, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's very true. You know, in, in a game like, well, I'm not going to name other games, but like, you know, in some games, they try to push the whole camaraderie thing. But in gameplay, you're not really doing anything with your other teammates. They're kind of just on this autopilot AI. And mm -hmm. it's questionable whether or not they actually help you. They just kind of do their thing. Whereas <laughs> yes. here you actually interact with them in ways that make sense for a platoon. It's obviously very arcadey and very stylized, but you do kind of develop this deeper relationship with the characters because you've actually been there with them and they've actually helped you. And, you know, maybe you'll save them in some instances or maybe they'll save you in some instances. So you actually kind of build this bond throughout the course of the game. Yeah, no, that's pretty wonderful. I mean, you know, it's such a giant franchise and I've, spent years of my life it's been a while but uh 
you know, I was really into it in COD 4 and through Black Ops 2, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I loved that whole series. I loved playing with my friends and, and all of that. But, um, you know, innovating that particular gameplay is, I would imagine, a difficult thing to do to keep people interested and hooked and... All of that. So oh, yeah. That's, that's I mean, very it's, cool. You know, that's that's the funny thing about working on these games is that everything you do will be heard or seen or played by millions upon millions of people. So you can't really <laughs> go too far off into left left field, if you know what I mean. And everything mm-hmm. you do has to be like very tightly scrutinized. But it's all because they wanted to make the best product that they possibly could. So let's talk about the music then, because I think it's great, and uh, it's been an fun to listen to. So talk to me about the, the very first track, which I would imagine is the main theme, Yeah, uh, and the themes within the main theme, um, because they're very memorable, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a, good, a good thing. So talk to me about that. Sure, yeah, and, and thanks again. Um, so... There's there's two melodic themes, but there's also two signature sounds within the main theme. Just to take a step back, I mean, we spent a, a good amount of time just on this one piece. And the reason why is because in contemporary scores, there's a drive to have a lot of cohesion. Um, I know that in, in classic game scores and in older uh, film scores, uh, it's a lot more about kind of diversity and especially in those like, you know, classic JRPGs, it was all about going almost all over the place and very rarely coming back to, uh, you know, recurring themes or anything like that. But in the modern Mm -hmm. scoring world, it's all about using the main theme to create a palette for the rest of the soundtrack. And then from there, you develop it in various ways to get the action music, suspense music and so on. Mm-hmm. So for this theme, melodically, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. There are two themes. What you first hear on the cello is what I would consider the allies theme. That's that, you know, sort of stepwise. Da, 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 da. And I use that throughout the score. Almost every, well, not every piece, but like a, a majority of pieces use that in some way or another. Um, because this is what I wanted to represent your platoon and, and just the general concept of the allied faction. But the second half of it, the, you know, big brassy horn melody, do, do, do. That is what I would consider to be the theme of The Call of Duty. idea you know of like in a broader sense that's not limited to world war ii or uh to this story but just like my impression of 
just this idea of being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And, and, and that's what I wanted to convey with the music. Like, I, I wanted something that makes players and listeners feel like, not, not necessarily epic, because I, I, I have some problems with the word epic, but I, I just wanted them to feel like, you know, I've decided to put my foot down and take a stand, and maybe I'll start off on my own, and that's how you you hear it. You know, it starts off with just the horn, and the only mm-hmm. um, accompaniment is just that one solo violin playing this little ostinato, the that thing there. Yep. And yep. then as the theme progresses, then it's like, okay, now we have the full string section playing, uh, you know, all of these kind of epic, uh, well, that word again, but like, you know, these like <laughs> these very full. Um, uh, yeah. staccato ostinato lines and then eventually it kind of grows into the more climactic part of the theme where it's these soaring strings and sustains and whatnot. But that's what I wanted to convey was just that more broad concept of, you know what, I've been called to serve and to be a part of something that's bigger than just, you know, just me, just my own, um, you know, what I want out of life or whatever. But instead, I want to be a piece of something that's, uh, you know, historical. And if, I mean, no matter where the, where the game takes place, I mean, it can be, you know, these games have gone basically everywhere, past warfare, modern warfare, future far distant future but it all kind of has the same idea it's all about you know yes you're only playing as you know one person but you're a part of a team you're a part of a faction and it's your job to take care of your teammates it's your job to basically win the war and you know obviously that's you know that's a tall order but it's all about that kind of bravery that's required to make that work. And so mm-hmm. that's sort of um, a very verbose explanation of, of what that <laughs> that second theme is all about. And, no, that second theme, yeah. seriously, like when I was listening to it, it I, there, could, there could have been an army commercial on. <laughs> you know, I mean, I seriously was like, this sounds so army. And I mean... That was what came to mind. I mean, it could just generically be military. I don't mean to diss, you know, the Marine Corps and everyone else, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean. That's I was like, oh, yeah. wow, this is so. This is like very, and and another word that came to mind is patriotic. You know, just that, yeah. you know, kind of anthemic uh, patriotism. You know. also have the string players play with the back of their bow, which is um, Colenio, right? Yeah, so funny story. Um, they're not actually using their bows because I think that's just an abusive thing to ask a string oh, player to do. pencils or something? Yeah. I basically got a bunch of wooden dowels that are about nice. 18 inches uh, long, and I yeah. handed that out to the whole orchestra. 
And we said, okay, so we want you to do a couple things. Some of you should take these dials, just randomly, whoever wants to do it, just take these dials and tap the strings. Others of you can like, just with your palm of your hand, just tap the body of the instrument. And then others, especially in the low strings, can tap the neck of the instrument. So they get a little bit of string uh, sound in there, hmm. uh, the string slap. Unpitched, uh, but just only uh, getting the rhythm. And so we, you know, transcribed the rhythm as we wanted. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, they, they just kind of did it. And that's actually what you're hearing um, in that first part of the chorus section with that, like I mentioned, the Call of Duty theme. That's actually the full string section doing all these taps and slaps and, and whatnots. Is this the first time you've had the chance to work with a full orchestra like that? No, I've had several um, live orchestra soundtracks, but this is, I think, the first time that I've really had an opportunity to do very unusual techniques with the orchestra. Like, I mean, we, we went pretty far with the 20th century uh, techniques in this score, partially because I just, you know, any chance I have to experiment, I love to take. And partially sure. just because the setting, you know, like there's this undercurrent of horror underneath everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And um, to that end, I have this signature sound, like I mentioned in the main theme, which I called the haze of war. And that's just okay. this idea of like bluish gray blurriness and any sound that I could come up with that would sort of subscribe to that feeling. Um, this this actually came from uh, the art direction of the game. It has this uh, this sort of color filter over everything, this slightly desaturated and very mm -hmm. metallic and, you know, lots of film grain and film uh, post effects thing. And I wanted to represent that within the music. So almost every piece that I've written, I would start with the orchestral elements, you know, just orchestrating the piece. But then I would add in a lot of these, quote unquote, haze of war uh, elements. So it might be things like, okay, instead of a normal string sustain, maybe we have some players detuning up and down by a quarter tone or doing really thick uh, Pendretsky kind of uh, vibrato. Uh, maybe we have them using a technique called overpressure, which is where you bowed the string uh, a little bit too, uh, too hard and too slowly so that it gradually devolves into almost like a distortion. Um, mm -hmm. And then they can control that, so they can very uh, smoothly move in from the distorted sounds to a pure sound. Um, there's lots mm -hmm. of non-vibrato moments, there's lots of electronic uh, synthesizer patches that I've created that are incredibly subtle, you wouldn't really know that it was a synth, but it's also kind of subscribing to that hazy film grain feel. And then uh, lastly, and, and probably the most significant, is I use a lot of what's called musique concrète, which is where you take actual sounds, like real-world sounds, and you use that within the piece. So I had a bunch of sounds of World War II vehicles and artillery and weapons, uh, and I, I literally just used them within the orchestra as, as percussive elements. Um, hmm. We didn't use uh, orchestral snare drums or very much uh, orchestral cymbals or... Uh, there's no mallets as well. But instead, I'll use the sounds of like steam trains and explosions and, and you know, tank sounds and, and whatnot. And I do a bunch of filtering and uh, echoes and reverbs and whatever studio magic, but I kind of use them as a replacement 
for those orchestral elements. again kind of helps to give this hazy sort of like um, it, it's like halfway to horror in a way uh, but that's that's the mm. the idea behind this whole haze of war concept uh, as far as signature sounds go I also really liked all the the brass just all the all the brass mm-hmm. loved all the brass um, <laughs> the horns were great so talk to me a little bit about I mean I guess maybe you kind of did just because that's part of that whole patriotism or nationalism or what what have you you know just trumpets and horns and trombones and tubas it was but um with a twist so again um (laughs) we didn't like the word epic for this score what we decided was we need to kind of think smaller we can't do the huge type sound we have to still have the heroism and, and patriotism but it has to be on a smaller scale like it, like it has to have like a realism to it and a personal mm-hmm. feel. And so, for example, there's no trumpets. Well, there's there's no trumpet lines in this score. We do have trumpets, but you would never know that because they're actually just doubling the French horns. Uh, they yeah. never have their own line. And, yeah. uh, you know, we recorded brass separately from the strings so that we could kind of work with them a lot tighter. It's an expanded low brass section. Um, we have six horns, but the low brass is, I believe, two tenor, tr- no, three tenor trombones and bass trombone. No, two <laughs> tenors, two basses, and tuba. And then in addition to that, uh, we have low winds, but no high woodwinds. So okay. uh, again, avoiding that sort of epic fantasy kind of sound. And instead yeah. having, uh, I'm going to screw this up, tuba soons? <laughs> and then three bass clarinets, one of which is playing uh, Contra. Which you uh, have a wonderful highlight of in The Shadow of the Mountain. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, once once I found out that we were actually able to find a Contra bass clarinet, I just said, yeah, there's, I got to use this for something. Well, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it's such a wonderful <laughs> sound. And I hear it so rarely that after I, I heard it and I wrote down the question... And then I was looking back through, um, you know, later, and I saw that it said contrabass clarinet. And I'm like, you better, to myself, make sure that that's not contrabassoon, because <laughs> you hear that a lot more than you do contrabass clarinet. And so I went, made myself listen to it again. I'm like, no, that's definitely a contrabass clarinet. But I got a, I got a kick out of that. That was great. Yeah, uh, there's a reason why you don't hear contra bass clarinet very often. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a fantastic sounding instrument, but it's so hard to play. 
Um, I mean, our, our, our soloist was just incredible. You know, he, it, it's so difficult because this instrument is, like, it's taller than he is. And he's like a six foot two gentleman. <laughs> so this, this <laughs> instrument is just towering. He had to actually stand up every time he wanted to play the, the contra. And, uh, you know, it's just this gigantic, I think we rented it from some, some university or something. It's not, it's not a thing that people just own, if you know what right. I mean? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had, to, we had to find the thing, but the, the, the thing is like, I, I like to write for bass clarinet just generally. That's one of my kind of, if you want to call them tricks or whatever, is that I love blending the low woodwinds with low brass rather than with the strings. Um, mm. I think that the more common common practice classical thing is that low winds should go with low strings and, you know, maybe you have your bassoon supporting the low, you know, double basses or, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's that's great. That's a great sound, especially in a live setting. But, you know, this is a recording. And not only is it a recording, but we're also we're recording everything um, separately. So strings, they have their own separate session from brass and winds. And so I said, well, why don't we put the brass and the winds together instead of strings and winds like you might normally do? And um, there's a lot of things you can do with combining the, uh, especially the bass clarinets uh, with low brass to give it almost like a more rectangular shape and just almost like an organish, just big, thick, low <laughs> sound. Um, yeah. but, but what's cool about the, the bass clarinet especially is that because it has such a warm and smooth tone and they can play it really any um, dynamic range. You can do little fancy tricks. Like there's, there's a lot of moments where I have these big, you know, it's people call it the inception blah sound or whatever, but you know, there's <laughs> just these big low sforzandos. I don't mm -hmm. use any synthesizer for it. And instead I just tried to make the orchestration a little more interesting and kind of almost hint at that haze of war concept. And one of sure. the ways that I'll do that is that, yeah, you'll have most of the trombones and the tuba just playing the notes for sando and then it kind of diminuendos. But mm -hmm. uh, what I can do with the bass clarinets is that since it's kind of a quieter sound, I'll actually have them playing uh, a trill between the correct note and then just one note above it. And, you know, that kind of diminishes a little faster than everyone else, but it gives this sort of rasp to it. Uh, hmm. Like you don't really hear it as a trill. It almost it almost sounds like something you did on a synthesizer with like an LFO or something. It's this great sound and, and they played it, you know, fantastically. And so every time you hear, uh, almost every time you hear one of those little, you know, just big oomph kind of moments, uh, yeah. a lot of that has to do with uh, the clarinets uh, using, using this technique. Did you have character themes then? It turned out that that didn't make a lot of sense in context. When you have character themes, there's a tendency for it to sound a little too 
again, quote-unquote epic fantasy or whatever. It just didn't quite work here because, again, you know, we have to get it almost as, as dark and, and gritty and, uh, and realistic as possible. And it, it, didn't, it didn't quite work with that, especially because um, I, I only saw maybe six or seven of the cutscenes while I was scoring the game. I only custom scored uh, maybe five of them. And the rest oh, interesting. was yeah. The rest was just uh, edited from various pieces in the score and some <laughs> uh, cinematic suites that I wrote. Um, oh, cool! So it didn't it didn't really make a lot of sense for me to have like an ILO theme or like a Styles theme or anything like that. But instead, we do have themes for locations. Interestingly enough, sure. Uh, so I have th- there's kind of three main ones. There's the urban combat theme, which is sort of levels like Aachen and. Um, especially Marinier. You're fighting in like these dist- like halfway destroyed cities and it's very chaotic and in your face, usually daytime. This is uh, like in the second half of the track, Marinier, where it's it's sort of that two-note, very annoying oscillation in 7-4, the da ba 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 you know? Oh, yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that, I like that. I like that theme. that in um, Marinier, it comes back in Hill 493 later on in the soundtrack. Um, and I also reference it in Cobra and the Hedgerow, which is sort of like a tank battle theme. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then there's the German winter theme. The winter theme is just sort of, it's this sort of oscillation uh, that's all kind of minor seconds. That kind of thing. That's almost like a, a corollary, if you will, to the Axis theme, which you hear in uh, the Wolf's Den track. Uh, that's the Axis theme. And you hear that a lot in multiplayer uh, as well, whenever you're playing as the Axis, it always plays the da ba 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 da that kind of thing. Cool. Uh, and lastly, we had the um, Parisian resistance theme. There's a whole level in the game where uh, you don't play as the main character anymore. You actually play as Rousseau. And she's acting as a spy for the, uh, the French resistance and going through this occupied uh, sort of mansion compound in Paris that's now, you know, occupied by the, the Nazis who are planning, you know, whatever. And... Uh, you know, it's her job to go in there and sabotage them. And so I figured, well, first off, this is actually a really, she's my favorite character in the game. I almost want her to have her own spinoff because that's like, this is my, <laughs> clearly, the, the in my opinion, the coolest level in the whole game. But nice. uh, I wanted something a little different for that because the tone is completely different. 
I mean, not only is it a different character, but it's also um, like a social stealth mission. We had a few stealth moments in the game up until that point, but this is the first time that it's, you know, kind of like a hidden in plain sight type thing. So I wanted her to have, well, not, not her as a character, but like I wanted this situation to have some kind of a, a melodic treatment. Um, so you hear that in the track, Paris. It's in a, the uh, French horn, and it, it plays a few times. That whole thing. Uh, and I think that's it as far as melodic themes. I mean, we wanted to make sure that the, the score was as cohesive as possible, so we, we tried not to go too overboard with too many themes so that you don't really get a sense of, you know, what is this score all about. That's why, I mean, yeah. the Allies theme... I really lucked out because it's so simple that, you know, you can pretty much use it anywhere and it just kind of it just kind of fits. I would imagine that they use some of your music in the multiplayer or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The multiplayer yeah, is, so, is, yeah. Yeah. So that makes me think, you know, the location-based thing makes a lot of sense because all of those maps are location-based and then they can have, uh, they. I would imagine they kind of maintain that. Um, that cohesiveness that way too as well, yeah. Oh yeah, and in fact, yeah. I mean, you know, in the end, when they're scoring the or when they're the Sony team implemented the score, and mm -hmm. when they were going through and uh, you know spotting music for the campaign, uh, they were actually a little bit more laissez-faire about it. So you might mm -hmm. hear, you know, like the winter theme in you know like a France level sure. or something. They, sure, they, they sure. just kind of put stuff wherever it it needed to be. But multiplayer. Um, it kind of has that uh, that focus and that separation that we had originally intended um, a little bit more. So, like, yeah, the, the German winter levels uh, definitely reference all of those winter themes that that uh, that I had created. Uh, so, how did you end up uh, getting the gig? Did you demo for it? How how did this work? Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting story. Um, First off, I actually didn't really write any on-spec demos for this project, which is kind <laughs> of, it's pretty crazy, honestly. Like, that's that's sort of <laughs> absurd, but there is a method behind the madness. So um, I had played Advanced Warfare, um, you know, like a couple years ago. This has nothing mm -hmm. to do with me trying to get a gig with them. It was just literally, I love yeah. cinematic games and, and Call of Duty. Um, it's a great, it, it's going to sound weird, but it's a great series for adults because the campaigns are not terribly long and they're usually very action-y, you know, fast-paced and you can just drop in, drop out. Uh, especially yeah. this one because it's all, you know, mission-based. You can just play one mission and then, you know, go back to whatever it is you need to do, adulting. And then, you know, like tomorrow <laughs> you can play another, another mission and, you know, do your thing. Um, but I played Advanced Warfare and I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's the first... In a way, it's like the first true next-gen Call of Duty game. Uh, because they didn't have to carry the baggage of like, oh, yeah, we also have to put it on, you know, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. But it's like, no, it's no compromises, PS4, Xbox One. Let's just do mm -hmm. what we really wanted to do all along. And they revamped the sound design, especially. And that's mm -hmm. really what got me. I mean, it's it's a fantastic sounding game. Uh, the musical score I thought was really nice. And the 
um, the story was really good too. Uh, the characters were cool, and I, I just really dug the game generally. Like in, it had nothing to do with career or anything. I just really enjoyed the game. Yeah. And for whatever reason, a couple of months later, I thought, you know what? Why don't I just reach out to these guys? You know, they're they're humans too. Whatever. I'll just I'll just say hi. So I found um, I, I realized that an old coworker from LucasArts had worked with uh, Sledgehammer on Modern Warfare Three. And so mm. I figured, oh, okay, well, maybe he knows some people. So uh, he put me in contact with uh, the audio director. And it turned out that the audio director had also played um, Lara Croft in the Temple of Osiris. So he actually had already been familiar with my music, and he wanted to talk to me anyway. So we met up at GDC. We had a nice conversation there. You know, we kind of followed up uh, every so often over the next few months. Um, apparently, what sort of got me the gig or whatever was that I had sent, eventually I had sent him a copy of my score to Star Wars First Assault, which is the first person shooter um, from LucasArts. There was a final LucasArts game and it didn't ever get released. But, um, okay. you know, we had recorded the score with the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road. And so it, it sounded, oh, wow. it sounded great. I mean, their performance was, you know, outstanding. Um, but I think what really sealed the deal was that the mood that I brought to that game, I mean, yes, it was Star Wars, but it was pretty similar to what we were doing with this one in that it's not, you know, that game was not about the Jedi and the Sith and these, you know, huge superhero romantic kind of, uh, you know, epic fantasy. But instead, it was about the soldiers on the ground and, you know, we're not vilifying either faction in that game either. So the Imperials had this sort of similar army strong kind of vibe to their music um and then the rebels had a much more personal and um you know heartfelt kind of sound that incorporated a lot of world instruments and was very diverse um and i think they heard that and they just saw a seed of like what they wanted to do with this game which is that you know again we're not doing the whole big epic warfare thing we're trying to be more personal and uh, apparently, once I sent that in, they said, you know what, we're not even going to have demos. Let's just hire this guy and, and let's just have at it. I think uh, it's it's a fantastic score. As I've said, I you know you never know with Call of Duty, and and they've they've spent. I wouldn't even say that that's true. I would say that this is what I would say about that. I think I'm always skeptical, and I'm always pleasantly surprised. I think that they, <laughs> especially Sony, because of I think Chuck and others there, Jonathan, and I think there's they feel so passionately about the music and that the music should be good and uh, you know I think that there's there's just always this expectation that oh here comes another you know bombastic whatever and then they always hire these great composers (laughs) that that don't do that and I think it's wonderful so I'm glad that uh, you know one of them was you (laughs) oh thank you very much I mean it's 
I, I'm not going to lie. It's a very tough act to follow. I mean, yeah. you know, this this is a series where, I mean, I loved Sarah Shackner's music, of course, on Infinite Warfare. But, you yeah. know, before that, they had these gigantic named, like, I mean, literally Hans Zimmer I'm following up. Yeah. And and Harry Gregson Williams and and mm-hmm. you know Michael Giacchino of course, uh, you know mm-hmm. all these all these basically every huge name yeah. in Hollywood. <laughs> then it's yeah. like okay, so we're gonna hire this like kid from Philadelphia now. I guess the only thing else that that I'd mention is is that other signature sound that I mentioned oh, from yeah. the the main theme is is this idea of the memory of war. It's the very mm-hmm. first thing that you hear. It's that blast of of horns, but they're playing very arrhythmically at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the track. Um, this concept kind of came back in a few times in throughout the game. It's always this idea of like, okay, yeah, we have like a blare of of trumpets or horns that are playing these horn calls and it, it it's 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 a concept that has a lot to do with the story of the game of course because the protagonist Daniels is motivated by um his older brother Paul being a war hero and so it's that you know idyllic idea of like oh the memory of of this you know brave epic soldier concept um hmm. but what i thought was cool about that was that it also kind of harkens back to exactly what we're doing it almost like breaks the fourth wall a little bit because that's what we're doing as as game developers and as game players is that we're we're celebrating the heroism we're dipping back into history well thanks so much for chatting with me it was such a pleasure yeah thanks for having me Thanks for listening to episode 91 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Wilbert Roger at rogermusic.com and our website, patreon.com slash level. There's a full playlist there, too. You may have noticed we weren't around for a while. We took a bit longer of a winter break than expected, but we are back, we're better, and we've got great interviews heading your way. Also, there's a convention coming up here in the Twin Cities. It's called VGM Con. It's happening the first weekend in March, and we hope to see you there, along with special guests Jason Graves and Disaster Peace. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily, and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.